Hey, this is Hojo, and you're listening to me on Baseball and Barbecue with my two best friends, my new best friends, Jeff and Leonard. So y'all enjoy it, okay? Welcome to a very special bonus episode. It's episode 89 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm here with yours and mine, Captain America, Jeff Cohen. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Leonard. What's the occasion for that? (laughs) You know, we have on, I, I I try very hard to connect things. The connection there is Captain America theme song. And the captain of our beloved New York Mets was David Wright. And we have Anthony DeComo, who wrote a book about David Wright. So, Jeff, tell us the name of the book and, and give us a, a little date. And Sure. The name of the book is The Captain, a memoir by David Wright and written with, uh, like you said, Anthony DeComo. Been out oh, about six, seven, eight months now. A great book for any, obviously, any New York Mets fan, but it's really a great baseball book for any any uh, baseball fan, and they should really pick it up. It shows what hard work and dedication gets you. Exactly. A lot of determination on David Wright part. Yeah. I, I said at at one point in the interview, I, th- I think I said this, um, and if I didn't, <laughs> I definitely was thinking it, that David Wright is almost like a Pete Rose you know, he, he, he never thought of himself as being the most talented player, and neither did Pete Rose, and yet he worked so hard that he just became one of the best players. And unfortunately, if spinal stenosis did not end his career, probably was on his way to a Hall of Fame career. He, his career kind of tracked like Don Mattingly's. Both, you know, would have been in the Hall of Fame if their back issues didn't give him trouble at the end of their careers. They were surely on that track. And they were both great players, and he should have been in the Hall of Fame. What are you going to do? But they're right is a great, great New York Met. Well, Jeff, Anthony writes a great book about him. I, I, we enjoyed interviewing him very much. But before we get into that interview, I'm going to interview you. Uh-oh. Okay? Yeah, here we go. So I won't ask you anything embarrassing. I want to ask you about David Wright. And I want to ask you... As you know, a New York Met fan, baseball fan, 
give me one, two, whatever you want, memorable David Wright moments for you. Oh, I think they both came in 2015 when David was hurt early in the season. and He didn't come back until late August. And I remember a game against Philadelphia in Philadelphia. And it was like his first game back after a long absence. And he had a home run that went 428 feet into left field. And it was just a feel-good moment for David Wright. And, and, you know, you have the captain back. And the other home run that is very memorable was, again, 2015. His only World Series appearance. You know, he's both the, we, we all thought he was going to go to multiple World Series in the 2000s with the 2007-2018 Never happened. Got there in 2015. It's a home World Series home run, and even though they lost, I feel good for David Wright being the record books for hitting a World Series home run. Two home runs, right? Yes. Yeah. When you know, he's he, also a Gold Glove third baseman. Yes. A great leader in the clubhouse. A great yes. teammate, and he's only one of three players who has who's already retired who who spent their entire career with the New York Mets. I was a little surprised the first time when he won his gold glove. It's funny because he was such a great offensive player. I never really thought of him as as the best glove, but he worked hard and he definitely became an above average fielder. Really? Yeah. Well, yes, gold glove. But at the same time, yes, yes, I understand. Gold glove. Yes. Well, Mike Schmidt was not known for his glove when he started and he became a gold glove third baseman. Right. One of the best third basemen who ever played the game. Right. And David Wright signed a very big contract with the Mets, did everything he could to live up to the contract. But that spinal stenosis is just, you know, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. And if you have any memories of David Wright or of anything else you want to talk about, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Baseball and BBQ. On Twitter, we're at Baseball and BBQ. YouTube, Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate and review us. And now let's get to our interview with Tony DeComo. Anthony DeComo is a Mets beat writer for MLB.com and the chairman of the Baseball Writers Association of America's New York chapter. He's also an analyst for SNY Channel and a regular contributor to the MLB Network. Talking up, he's going to be talking to us about the, his new book he co-authored with David Wright called The Captain, a memoir. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Anthony DeComo. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, we're very glad to have you here. And I, I just want to start off by saying I, I really enjoyed the book. David Wright, obviously a, a great Met. With, with Glenn and I are Met fans. Thank and you. I guess my first question to you is why... Was he in such a, not a rush, but why, why was the book so quickly done after his playing career is over? Uh, well, you know, I think there's value in having that freshness. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as if he retired and the book came out a day later. I think it's, you know, two years down the road, I thought was a, a, a good amount of time for him to be able to reflect um, and yet still have everything that was right there in front of him be relatively fresh. It's it's not as if David is going and you know wanting to have necessarily a, you know going to become a manager or something or having this big second act of his career. You know he's a pretty private person. He's 
kind of stayed away from baseball a little bit since retiring. So I'm not sure how much there would be to add. I think fans of his you know, want to know about the career and that's the big thing. And so, you know, once that came to its conclusion, I, I thought it was, it was time for something like this. Right. Yeah, it was, t- it was time. And I, I really, I found uh, it fascinating how in depth, I, you know, you think you know about someone, you know, cause you read all these clippings and stuff, but, but what he went through from, you know, how, how his career, maybe he never felt like he was the most talented player. He, you, you never got the feeling that he thought that he was going to be a major leaguer and he had to work his ass off to get where he was. And I just think that was, I think that really will resonate with a lot of people. It kind of reminded me, you know, of like the Pete Rose of, of his era. You know, he just worked hard. He always, he, he was a hard worker. One of the things that, that I thought was interesting is Willie Randolph and his association with Willie Randolph, because I've said this many times on this podcast and others is I always thought Willie Randolph got a a raw deal. I think he's a brilliant baseball mind and I don't think that the Mets treated him fairly. I was very happy to see that David uh, had that relationship with him. Can you you speak on that? Yeah, I I think you're not the first person that's mentioned that. I think people don't realize what an impact Willie had on David not technically his first manager, but essentially his first manager, uh, you know, as, as the guy who came on for his first full, for David's first full season. And I, I think, you know, as you mentioned, despite the fact that he was a first round draft pick, despite the fact that he was, you know, a, a reasonably well-regarded prospect coming up, uh, David did have a lot of self-doubt. He did have, you know, this idea in his mind that maybe he wasn't good enough at this level. And I think Willie obviously saw what a lot of people saw, which was that, no, this guy has not only star material, but could be a bedrock piece for the franchise, could be a leader, could be, you know, maybe not thinking quote unquote captain at that point, but that type of player, that type of guy for, for the organization. So he identified that super early and he worked to nurture it. And, you know, let's not forget Willie Randolph was that type of guy during his playing career for the Yankees, he, he had a lot of those qualities. He was that guy in the clubhouse, so he knew what it took. And for him to see that in another player, early identify it, nurture it, I think was hugely impactful for David. And, you know, I think David would probably agree that Willie maybe got a little bit of a raw deal there towards the end because he did oversee some successful teams. Obviously, uh, you know, didn't get to where they wanted to get in 2007, or in 2006, but you know, by and large, I think Mets fans look fondly back on that era because it was a pretty consistently successful team. Yeah, and D- David was a big part of that in coming up with Jose Reyes. I just want to go back to where he started out when in the Virginia Beach area growing up. He said he called himself the pudgy little kid who played shortstop, and I was, uh, you know, fascinated with his his background, his his father with a really uh, a, a policeman that three brothers a disciplinarian that whole area where he learned how to play baseball is was a hotbed in, in Virginia did you found on that because I found that a lot of players came out of there which was really surprising to me well you know historically traditionally it was not a hotbed there were actually very few players who came out of that area and then all of a sudden you had Michael Kadire, and it was an onslaught. It was Kadire, it was David Wright, it was the Upton brothers, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, Mark Reynolds, uh, and then more still after that. And 
think if you read the book, you'll understand that that wasn't necessarily coincidence that all of a sudden an area that hadn't produced many major league baseball players was pumping out first round picks every year. There were a confluence of factors. There were a couple of very influential coaches in that area, guys with professional baseball connections, guys who looked at the game in a different way, guys who were kind of on the cutting edge of you know, what now is big business in terms of the amateur travel ball circuit and showcases and that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it was kind of a perfect storm for that area. And then obviously, you know, you need the talent as well. And David, along with all of those other players I mentioned, had first round talent. So you put all of it together and yeah, it was kind of a perfect area for David to grow up to develop into a major league baseball player. And, and it just kind of worked out. And, and Kadire was the big one for David. Michael Kadire was a couple of years older. He was a guy that David didn't really get to know. I think people, you know, the myth is that all these players put it together on the same team. That's not true. David didn't really get to know Kadire until after he was drafted. But before that, you know, he looked up to this guy in a big way. And Michael Kadire was the one who kind of came first and was that first round draft pick and paved the path for a lot of these other other players who were to come up through the area and at the same time. Yeah, and David becomes a, a first-round draft pick. I think he was the supplemental pick, and the name slips my mind right now, who went to Colorado. Anyway, uh, he was a supplemental Mike pick. Hampton. Mike Hampton, right. He, right, he was a supplemental pick. And he gets drafted from the Mets to the Mets. His, his hometown team, uh, even though he was in Virginia, he always followed the Mets. Going through the system, he, he seemed like had a lot of insecurities about his, his playing days. But he really took to uh, Howard Johnson. And how was his, his relationship with, with Hojo? I saw that it blossomed and it was a, like a really mentor mentee relationship. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was uh, another guy who, yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people know David Wright, having grown up in that area in Virginia, was, was a Mets fan. Uh, went to Norfolk Tides games. And for that reason, you know, loved a lot of those big Mets players of the mid to late 80s, early 90s. And Hojo is obviously one of the biggest ones. He was a member of that 86 team. He uh, developed into a star, into a 30-30 player. As a third baseman, he was the exact type of guy that David wanted to be. So to come up through the minor leagues, and then all of a sudden, uh, not only is Hojo your your coach, but or one of your coaches, but he's kind of climbing through the ladder with you. Uh, they were together at single A in St. Lucie, I believe. They were together at double A in Binghamton, and eventually they were together again in the big leagues, and Hojo played a, a big role as David's hitting coach in the majors. So, yeah, I think it was another another guy that David looked up to from a young age and wound up being a guy that shaped his career in a big way. Anthony, the, uh, the Keith Miller mentioned in the book, The Agent, is that the same Keith Miller that played for the Mets? It is, yes, it is. Okay, I, I thought so. He mentioned Foley's that he went to after his first game with Joe McEwing which unfortunately Foley's, you know, during this pandemic, they closed, but we had the, the opportunity to interview Sean Clancy from Foley's. And it was just, it was great to see that David, he was excited about the, the start of his career. It wasn't something that he, took a, that he took for granted. When you were doing the countless interviews with him and writing this book, did you still feel that, ex- the same, that he had the same excitement when he was telling these stories? Yeah, I think, and one of the things that David has said often is that, you know, when you're in it, when you're in your career, uh, and especially at the beginning, I think there's so much of you have your head down, you are constantly looking forward to what the next thing is going to be, whether that's 
grabbing out your your triptych and and going to to um, Kingsport for the first time, or you know working your way up the major league ladder, or making your big league debut, trying to stick, trying to become an all star, trying to do all these things, make the playoffs, and you're so focused on each of these goals that you don't really have a chance to look back and reflect on maybe how far you've come. So. Yeah, I think there was an excitement for him to go back and and look at this and and play a little, you know, remember this, remember that. And I think, you know, having the, the perspective of years, having the perspective of being able to, you know, look at it through maybe more mature eyes now than he would have 15 years ago was a cool thing for David. So I, I think there's definitely an excitement. And, and Anthony, one other thing before before nope. Jeff comes back. What is it with the Mets and superheroes? You know, it's funny. The David was David was nicknamed Captain America. Of course, you, Matt Harvey was the Dark Knight. Syndergaard is Thor. What, what, why is it the Mets seem to be getting all these superhero names? I I, I couldn't tell you. More coincidence <laughs> than everything. Maybe one one spawns another. But uh, <laughs> you know, the Captain America thing was cool because I think it has a. A, a connotation beyond just you know the fact that he was the captain or a good player. I mean that that really stems from the World Baseball Classic, and that was those multiple World Baseball Classics that David played were big moments in his career. We got him to see him, you know, for a player that didn't that only made it to the playoffs twice in his career. Those were playoff like appearances for him, and they kind of showed what he was capable of doing on a big stage. So I, I think they were impactful. And I, I do like the idea that, you know, of his superhero nickname, Captain America is, is a reference to that as much as anything else. Exactly. And another, uh, one of his closest friends in the beginning of his career was super Joe McEwing. And it was <laughs> right. Joe McEwing was really, a, I think a fan favorite and a very close friend of David and David really heartbroken when Joe was, I guess, released the Mets. I, that, that's when he found out it was really a, a, a business. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it was Joe McEwing was, as, as you'll read in the book, is one of the, on a veteran team coming up, you know, David, he was one of the guys who really took David under his wing to the extent that they were having, you know, dinners together in with Joe McEwing and his wife in their Long Island City apartment. So, yeah, I, I think it, some of it is the this idea that when you're young you know maybe nothing's ever going to change and nothing's ever going to go wrong and it, it it didn't really cross david's mind that joe McEwing, this guy who he was so close to on the mets you know, might not be a part of the future of the franchise might be getting a little older might uh, you know be a casualty of the business side of the game and, until it happened and then it happened and obviously that was an emotional thing and uh, you know i think david carried a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility with him. And anytime something like that happened throughout his career, whether it was Joe McEwing getting cut or Willie Randolph getting fired or, or various other things, you know, he always internalized it a little bit as if, you know, maybe if I had done something a little different or I had played a little better or I had done an X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't have happened. And obviously, you know, you look at it objectively, that's not really the case, but I think it does show how much David cared about you know, not only the team and winning and, and the relationships that he built, but in terms of his own actions and his own preparation and his own everything, you know, how much that couldn't impact other people as well as just himself. Right. And one of those relationships he had was when the Mets signed Carlos Beltran and 
that was Beltran singles out David to come work out with him away from the Mets facility and really takes him under his wing. That that relationship must have been uh, pretty special for David as well. Yeah, you know, well, again, one of many veterans who were there at that time. And, and I think in, in Beltran's case, it was David seeing a player who was one of the absolute best players in baseball in his prime and kind of getting a look at what it takes to reach that level. And, you know, this is... Uh, you know, 15 years ago, the landscape was maybe a little bit different in terms of now every organization is so streamlined in terms of what they do with um, strength and conditioning and weightlifting and, and this and that. And guys could be in many cases largely on their own. And that's not necessarily the case these days, but it was back then. So to have someone named like Carlos Beltran who had his own operation and who, you know, obviously had done it well enough to become a multi-time all-star, one of the best players in the league. It was eye-opening for David to see what kind of work and what types of work Carlos put in as opposed to just necessarily, you know, lifting heavy, as heavy as you possibly can. Um, They were doing more functional things, more baseball-related things. They were doing things that David, frankly, had never done before in his life. So to see it firsthand and to get that kind of one-on-one tutorial was another impactful thing at a young point in his career. Although David did, when City Field opened up, he did try to bulk up to hit more home runs. He admits that he fell into kind of a trap because the dimensions of City Field were so uh, were so large, and he didn't take advantage of being maybe more of a doubles or triples hitter. So that was uh, that was very interesting to 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 see into the mind of someone who. Is basically, yeah, he, he's a baseball player, but he's a person and with his own ideas. And it was just interesting to, to see how he thought about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a lot of a lot of what's, in, you know, interesting to me in the book is where he opens up and kind of makes himself vulnerable in a lot of ways. And, you know, you can look at various professional athletes, whether it's David or anyone else, especially guys with that much success and think that it comes easy. But, you know, I think you get... You know, a book like this is, can kind of be a look into those guys' minds. And in David's minds, it, it, you realize it doesn't come easy, and both physically and mentally, because there's so much self-doubt, and it's so difficult not just to reach the highest level, but to stay there. And when you face adversity, whether that's in the form of injuries or, in this case, uh, as you're referencing, in the form of a stadium that maybe doesn't suit you, um, that maybe can get in your head a little bit, it can be it can be tough, and there can be a lots of self-doubt. So I think it's very humanizing to, to see David kind of going through that and, and working to overcome it. Yeah, and David really, he, he did everything the right way, being a, a product of his disciplinarian father, a cop. I, I really like when, when I saw in the book where he had no sympathy for anybody using performance and drugs, and he references his minor league instructor, uh, Gary Conti, who told him that choices, decisions, the consequences. And that really took, he took that, that to heart. Yeah, you know, it's there, there's there's no skeletons with this guy. You know, he's a salt of the earth type of guy, and you can, if you have any doubts, you know, you could you can tell just by the way he was raised, by his family, by his upbringing, by the people who are around him in his youth. So, yeah, it, it's more than just a guy who says no to performance enhancing drugs. It's a guy who has no tolerance for anyone who says yes, and obviously through the years there have been plenty who have said yes. So. Uh, you know, I think that is refreshing and, and should be a lesson and a reminder for anyone who's young and coming up through the game. And that's and that's a big, I would say, theme of the book as well, is a guy who succeeded by doing things the right way should be a role model. And we, we 
we put so many people, you know, in our society on a pedestal, so many professional athletes, so many celebrities, so many whoever's who maybe don't necessarily deserve it. But I think if you can identify the ones who do, and David is certainly one of those guys, you know, you can take lessons away from that and how to live your own life. We're talking to Anthony DeComo, who has written a really in-depth, great book with none other than David Wright, the captain. And Anthony, did you approach David? How did you start this book with, with David Wright? Yeah, I approached David Wright just at the very end of his playing career, just to kind of put the idea in his head and... It was not something that I necessarily even thought he would be interested in doing in this fashion in terms of a a memoir versus just a biography about him or various other routes I could go. But we, you know, I kind of put the idea in his head and then we got to talking a little bit after things cooled down after the season. And, you know, it became more and more apparent that he did want to be involved, which was uh, maybe a little surprising to me, but I was glad he did because obviously you can do a more in-depth project that way. So, so we did and we teamed up and, and we started going from there. And uh, I mean, what, what can I say? The, the guy's as pro as they come. He's, he's, like I said, he's a salt of the earth type guy. So working with him was every bit as easy as I thought it would be. You know, he says he's going to do something. You don't have to remind him. He does it which might sound like a simple thing, but believe me, it's not, you know, it was, uh, I, I, I appreciate and, and very much enjoyed our, our relationship going through this for, for really almost two years. I really enjoyed the story about him becoming the captain where Sandy and, and the Wilpons sat him down. I think Jay Harvis was in there as well mm-hmm. saying, we want to make you captain. And he said, even though he appreciated it, he wanted it to come from his, the players. And, you know, but could you tell that, that story? Because that was really, uh, you know, really David doing things the right way, like you said. Yeah, I think David saw the captainship for what it was. And that's, you know, an honor that's really meant to be inside the clubhouse. And the clubhouse, for anyone who's ever been in that room, knows it's it's a very sacred place for these players. And, you know, he did not want the captainship to come from ownership or from the front office or from his manager, from anyone other than the players. So if the players weren't going to be on board with that, you know, he didn't want any part of it. And, uh, you know, obviously for those of us from on the outside, it seems like a no brainer. No one was going to say no. And that's, I think, an important thing. When you look at the captain, the Mets have only had four. It's not a thing that's bestowed upon many players throughout baseball these days. And people are always wanting to identify who the next guy might be and somebody has one good season and people want to say, well, that's the captain. You know, we, we should make him the captain. They want to debate it. But in my mind, it's, it's to be the cat for someone to be named the captain. It should be as it was in David's case, like, duh, of course, this guy's the captain. He already, he already was just without the title. And now we're giving him the title. And David had been that guy for so long for the Mets. He had signed a long-term deal. The conditions were perfect for that to come true. But yeah, just because it was such a no-brainer to probably anyone who was there, you know, it doesn't mean David didn't want that uh, to come from from the guys who he would be leading inside that room. Right. Yeah, he, he didn't want to see on his uniform. He just he led by example. It's a great book. Where Amazon, I'm assuming, <laughs> we always ask our guests, where can you get it? But And the answers are always the same, Amazon and your local bookstore, which there aren't very many left. So 
Well, I do. I do always encourage people to go to their local bookstore. I think it's great to support those places. Right, so if you've got a place you like to go, go. But you know, if you don't, yes, the usual suspects apply as well. Amazon, <laughs> Barnes and Noble, wherever you can. Yeah. Wherever books is, are sold. Anthony, we can't let you go without talking about a book like this. It is a you know, big part of David's career. Unfortunately, was the injuries and how he battled back. I was very surprised when uh, when he got that spinal stenosis diagnosis that what he went through. I mean, we all knew he had to do back exercises, but he went into depth what he had to do. And that really surprised me, you know, how, how painstaking that was. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I made a point to kind of try and draw out of him was, to, you know, because I didn't know. I knew he was going through things. Um, I, I was covering him as a reporter and I knew the general idea of what he was doing, but I didn't know exactly what he was doing on a day-to-day basis, on an hour-to-hour basis twice daily PT and, and so much stuff. And I, it's one of the things that I think it, I also think is most interesting in the book. So I encourage people to pick it up and read it. He went through a lot. He put his body through a lot. He put his mind through a lot, uh, all with no guarantee at all that he would ever, A, be able to come back to the fields, uh, B, be able to do it with any sort of an impactful player. And I know all of us who were around the team at the time had our doubts that, you know, that he would be able to come back at all. So I think it gives you another window into how much he cared and into the fact that he wanted to overturn every single stone. And once he retired, he wanted to make sure that he was retiring, looking back and saying, there's not anything I could have done better or worked harder or done differently to maximize my career a little bit more, to maybe win a little bit more, to maybe get that ring on my finger. He, he never wanted to have a single regret. And the way to do that was to work as hard as he possibly could. And you'll see, uh, you know, as you mentioned, in kind of painstaking detail, what he did when he started going through that back trouble. So I think it's another thing that's inspiring to to us, you know, to anyone to maybe not go halfway and, and go as hard as you can because you don't want to have regrets in your life. Exactly. And I remember when he came back, uh, that first game in Philadelphia, it's that mammoth home run. That, uh, that's got to be up there and uh, met, met memories up there. Another thing I want to talk to you about uh, is uh, his World Series experience. Again, more injuries after that, but the World Series had eluded him in 2006. And we all thought that was the best team back then. He gets to the chance in 2015, even though he loses by five, he really relished that experience and and able to hit a a World Series home run. Yeah, I, I think having the perspective in multiple ways, one of, you know, in 2006, he was a young star on an up-and-coming team with a lot of talent around him. And they were probably the best team in, in the National League that year, if not the best team in baseball. And I think he, like a lot of people, looked at that as, okay, we lost to a really good professional Cardinals team. We took them to the end. It sucks, but we'll be back every year. And that was just the assumption, and it seemed like a pretty good assumption. So I think you fast forward nine years and, and all of a sudden you have the perspective of, no, they, they didn't make it back every year. They didn't make it back at all. It's that perspective of, wow, it's really hard to do this. And no matter what you have around you. And then the other kind of parallel perspective is by that point, injuries had really begun to take hold and, and spinal stenosis was a significant factor in David's life and career. And it was hard for him to say if he would ever get another chance. So the fact that he had made it back 
by August and was reasonably healthy, was able to play, was able to contribute and do things. You know, he viewed it as quite possibly his last chance, and it did wind up being you know, his last chance to make an impact in the playoffs. So I, I think when you have that perspective of, A, this is really, really hard to do, and B, this is probably going to be my one, one shot to do it, you know, you appreciate it more. And that's only natural and that's only human nature. And I think David did. And it's no surprise that he calls that World Series and, you know, in terms of his career and that home run in terms of him as an individual as absolute highlights of, of his career. And last question from, from me. And I, again, we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. What endeared him to being to, to us Mets fans was that he wanted to be a Met for life. And he had a chance to go somewhere else. But he never, he never took that chance. He, he took less money, we know, to stay with the Mets after meeting with Sandy. So we, we really, uh, you know, appreciate David Wright did for us and, and you know, stay with, with the team. Do you, if one, one day, is, will his uh, number be retired up there with Piazza and Seaver and Guzman this year? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. I can't tell you when exactly it will happen, but I would imagine in the, in the pretty near future, you're going to see number five up there for generations to come. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, the number will be retired. He's one of the the greatest position player Mets that there is. That's Anthony, one more from me. If anybody is expecting to read this and think that, you know, David Wright is going to uh, say anything about anyone that's just going to be outlandish or anything, it's not, that's not how David Wright was as a player. Uh, You wouldn't expect that now. But what's something that when you were working on this with him, especially since you covered him, surprised you? Was there anything? That- I don't know if surprise is the word, but I think kind of what we talked about before in terms of everything he went through with his body and the detail of what he went through coming back from those injuries to me was eye-opening. And again, I, I had a vague sense. I knew what was going on, but I didn't know exactly what was going on. So to see it and to understand more fully what he was putting himself through, um, just to make it back, because I think, you know, people see, oh, he had a back injury. Uh, you know, my back hurts too. Everyone's back hurts. But it, it wasn't that. It was, it was a lot more than that. And to kind of, again, see what, he, what was going on at that point in his career and just the passion with which he worked to overcome that was eye-opening. And I think you know, Mets fans, fans of David Wright should be proud that that's their guy, that he was willing to do that for the organization, for the city, for the team. You know, you'll notice you open the book and the very first thing obviously is, you know, the dedication and David dedicated it to the Mets fans, to New Yorkers. You know, he could have gone any number of ways with that, but he, he was pretty adamant that it'd be that. And I thought that was really cool. And I thought that was just a testament to how much he meant to the city, but also how much the city meant to him. The book is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Captain, a, a memoir by David Wright and Anthony DiComo. It's a must for all Mets fans, but also all baseball fans, to, for a real, true baseball, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, hero. He was really a hero to a lot of, a lot of players, uh, to a lot of teammates, players, and fans. So we really appreciate the book. Appreciate you taking the time out for meeting with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anthony. It was great. Brought yeah. up lots of memories. Jeff, I, I think, you know, it, the fact that he retired not so long ago, but you know what? He, he may have retired not so long ago, but of course, because of the injuries, you know, the stenosis mainly, 
he was around. You always were waiting for him to come back, but he really was out of the game longer. You know, the retirement's one thing, but right. he was out of the game longer. You know, your thoughts on the interview? Great interview. Great book. I think one day we're going to see his, his number five retired up there with the other Mets. You know, the Mets only retire their players who are in the Hall of Fame now. I think that's going to change. I think you're going to see a lot more now. But number five should definitely go up there with number 41, number 31, with number 14, and number 37. Yeah. Yeah, they should. They definitely should retire numbers that even if they're not in the Hall of Fame, you know, they that, that doesn't mean that they weren't great Mets. It just means right. they, they didn't have a Hall of Fame career, but he, he had an amazing career. Jeff, one one more thing before we depart. I don't know. This morning I, I woke up and I wanted to see if an episode of a different podcast had been released. And I looked at my podcast app and I see all these all these, you know, green numbers, which shows you new episodes are out and for all these podcasts. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, there's a lot of podcasts. And it made me just think that for everyone that listens to this podcast, we thank you. You have so many choices, but we hope that something like this with Anthony DeComo about David Wright and whatever else we bring to you, because you know, every episode is different, will make you keep tuning in. So for all of you, who are new to this podcast, we thank you for finally finding us, listening. For those of you who stay with us, we greatly appreciate it. But thank you. Don't think we don't appreciate our listeners because we do. We Absolutely, we do. We, we certainly do. We work hard on this. I'm not saying this for any reason other than I just want to thank you guys for for listening. I know it sounds funny. We're, we're putting all in. We say we do the heavy lifting. You just do the listening. But you know what? When I saw Jeff, I, there are podcasts. I, I can't believe how many podcasts there are. So thank you, guys. Thank you. And Len, how do we usually end our podcast? We say goodbye. How else, Jeff? Well, there's one other thing. Tell us. We send it with a song. Are you going to sing? Jeff, I am what not going to sing. sing? I'm going to leave that to the, the, the poet and the musician, Del Krakowski and Dave Dresser. Baseball always brings you home. It certainly does. Goodbye, everyone. Night. Nice.